You're listening to Historical AF, or if you cuss like we do, Historical As Fuck. This is your thankful historian, Kina. And I'm your modern librarian, Ashley. We're here to deliver the funny, weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Welcome to episode 11. Oh, wow. We're really getting up there. Oh, I know. Feels like we've been doing this forever. Yes, it does. We are basically just like old people in podcasting now. (laughs) Um, So this week we're talking about conspiracy theories because we need to lighten this shit up. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Last week was uh, a little depressing. Yeah, she she got real heavy last week. So we are definitely (laughs) lightening the mood. And doing my favorite of all topics, conspiracy theories. Man, I had a good time researching this. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. I literally had a list of seven conspiracy theories and almost picked three for one of my topics. And I was like, no, I need to, I need to calm it down. (laughs) Yeah, started with one and then it took a turn and I found something else and I just scrapped one. I was like, no, we gotta do this one instead. So pretty excited. So how was your week? My week was good. Spoiler alert, everyone. Kina and I both had job interviews on Monday at one because we're awesome like that and coordinate everything. And we both got second interviews. What, what? So I am preparing to go to another state to do an in-person interview at a library. And I've just been like trying to clean my house and trying to use that as a like vision board to try to move to a different state. So we will see. It's fine. I just did it. It's, it's, it's great. No, you can't see me shaking my head. No. (laughs) How was your week? My week was really good. I'm really excited. So I had an interview Monday, same time as Ashley, and I have my second interview tomorrow. So really excited. And I'll be prepping for that after we finish podcasting. But I found out something really cool. So if you are not a Patreon member, you should become one because we did a drunk dive that had to do with Bonnie and Clyde last month. No, this month. This month. God, I don't even know what day it is. So we just did the June drunk dive and it's on Bonnie and Clyde, the Highwaymen. Really great movie. But my mom said that my grandma Data, which badass name, by the way. Anyway, she used to tell stories about how Bonnie and Clyde went to flip in Arkansas and how the whole town was like, load up in your cars because the town had like 10 cars like collectively and they would just do like drive-bys to watch them and they'd be eating lunch at a little creek. Yeah, so I was like, well, that's really fun. Little historical tidbit from my family. So yes, y'all want to hear all about us talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Y'all should definitely join Patreon so you can listen to that drunk dive. It's I love our drunk dives. I don't remember them afterwards <laughs> until I listen to them again because by that point we're both so toasty that we just like, I don't know, scream about life. Yes. And it was a really fun topic. I learned a lot. I learned a yes, lot. Yes. Really too. Yeah. And then also I've had a headache for like a week. So I went and got a massage and it was like one of those parlors and they have like the bars on the ceiling where they can walk on you and stuff. Like they beat the shit out of me and I'm a giant bruise. But it was so worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, my whole back is purple. Like, the dude was, like, elbows and, like, on the table and just, like, pile driving me. Yeah, and at the end, he was, like, stress, tight, like, pointing at my shoulders. I'm like, yeah, I am. That's, like, the highlight. 
my mom and my sister are coming down on Friday, so I'm really excited. I'll have the family here for a week and show yeah. them around. None of them have been to San Antonio, so that's get to awesome. Do all that stuff. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. And hopefully I'll have a job by then. So I'll be like, look at my job. Yes. Oh, my God. That's I'm like so pumped about the idea of being gainfully employed and being somewhere that's not here. And I'm super pumped. Yeah, I'm really excited. This is a really like my dream in life has been to work in a museum that has Egyptian artifacts. And I'm so close to this dream. And they had artifacts that we talked about in the podcast. And I'm like, oh, I just need to be close to you. (laughs) That is so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I'm so pumped. But yeah, so we've had pretty good week. So I'm trying to think, is there anything else we need to get out of the way before we jump into conspiracy theories? I don't think so. Want to roll okay, see who cool. goes first? Absolutely. Spooky. Spooky. All right. Do it. Pitter patter. Let's get at her. <laughs> yes. Have you been watching more Letter Kenny? I have. Zeke said it the other day, but he said it with his like Wisconsin accent, and I about died. It was so beautiful. I'm so, not going to lie. Uh, I've seen a lot of people with uh, Letterkenny tattoos recently that say like Pitter Patter or Ferda, and I may definitely <laughs> need a Pitter Patter tattoo. I love it so much. Spooky. And I was originally going to go aliens like Roswell, but then this morning I was flipping through Facebook and I'm a part of like the Texas Historical Society group. And somebody posted this picture and I was like, what? So then it completely changed my entire story to be about this town in Texas because holy shit, how did I not know about this? So we're going to talk about Ned, the Aurora alien. Have you heard of him? I have never heard of this. (laughs) I'm so pumped. Okay. My God. All right. So during the like period between 1896 and 1897, there was a lot of sightings around the country for the cigar-shaped mystery airship that was reported like all over the Midwest. So there's like things in newspapers, and I even like made a seven-day trial in newspapers.com to look at this stuff to make sure it was real. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's from like Illinois, Missouri, just everywhere. Talking about this cigar-shaped spaceship. But there were, like, several sightings of this airship around Texas, around the Fort Worth, Dallas area. And then in the spring of 1897, all the activity, like, really sped up and people were seeing stuff every day. And one of these aircrafts was reported to have crashed in Aurora on April 17th, 1897. Holy crap. Dun, dun, dun. They reported that an airship crashed into the Judge Proctor's windmill and burst it into flames. Among the wreckage, the Aurora residents found the disfigured remains of an alien creature. It's an incident that's actually really similar to Roswell, but Roswell happened 50 years after this. The pilot, as they were calling him, was reported to be not of this world, and they called him a Martian. They named him Ned. They gave him a proper Christian burial. Well, that was nice. Yeah, and they put him in the local Aurora Cemetery. Huh. The cemetery to this day contains a historical commission marker that mentions the incident. And, oh God, I can't wait to show you guys a picture on Facebook. So it's just like a little tombstone and it has like a little oval, like little dots. Nothing written on it. It's just like a little spaceship. <laughs> oh my God. I have, okay, I have so many questions. Like why did they assume that he was a Martian? Like from Mars? 
I don't know. I'm thinking like 1897. They probably don't know the difference. How much do you really know about outer space? They probably aren't very creative. Because How far is this town from where you live? Because I may need to go and see this tombstone. It's, I think, 40 miles outside of Fort Worth. So about four hours from me. Maybe I'll stop through on my way to you. Exactly. It's definitely like a halfway point. So, yes. So reportedly, the wreckage from the crash site was dumped into a nearby well. And it was a well that was located under the windmill that got blown up. And then some people say that some of the wreckage ended up with the alien in the grave. So adding to this mystery, a guy named Mr. Brawley Oates, who purchased Judge Proctor's property around 1935, cleaned out the debris from the well so that he could use it as a water source. But he later developed an extremely severe case of arthritis, which he claimed to be a result of the contaminated water from the wreckage that had been dumped into the well. That feels like a stretch, but okay. Very oddly specific, too. Of all things that you could get from an alien arthritis. Is that where my arthritis came from? Alien water? So as a result of his severe arthritis, he sealed up the well with a concrete slab and then put an outbuilding on top of it. According to the writing on the slab, it says that he did this in 1945. So there is a newspaper article that was published right after this crash, and I'm going to read it to you. Very Excellent. Exciting. So it's from the Dallas Morning News. It was April 19th, 1897. So Aurora, Texas, April 17th. About six o'clock this morning, early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of an airship, which has been sailing through the country. It was traveling due north, and much nearer the earth than ever before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order for making it the speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour and gradually settled towards the earth. It sailed directly over the public square, and when it reached north part of town, it collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill, and it went into pieces with a terrific explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and the water tank, and destroying the judge's flower bed. No! <laughs> Not the flowers! No! Oh. Man, this like journalistic integrity of this article is amazing. <laughs> Why can't we have writing like this anymore? It's beautiful. I think it's better. The pilot of the ship is supposed to have been only the only one aboard. And while his remains are badly disfigured, enough of the original has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Mr. T.J. Weems, the United States Signal Service Officer at this place, and an authority on astronomy, gives it as his opinion that he was a native of the planet Mars. (laughs) Okay, that's reputable. What authority does he have to make that call? (laughs) (laughs) Papers found on his person, evidently the record of his travels, are written in some unknown hieroglyphs and cannot be deciphered. The ship was badly wrecked to form any conclusion on its construction or motive. It was built of an unknown metal resembling somewhat of a mixture of aluminum and silver, and it must have weighed several tons. But if it weighed several tons, how did it go in the well? I have questions. Yeah, like, did they, like, strap it to a mule and do, like, a weird pulley system? I have no idea. The town is full of people today who are viewing the wreck and gathering specimens of a strange metal from the debris. The pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. 
That's it's so, so nice bad. that they gave him like an actual funeral and like a burial and all that. But also, I want them to dig him up and test him. We're gonna get to that. Yes. <laughs> The hoax theory is primarily based on historical research performed by Barbara Brammer, who is a former mayor of Aurora. Her research has been featured in part of the UFO Files episode on the incident and revealed that in the months prior to the alleged crash, Aurora had been beset by a series of tragic incidents. So immediately a hoax was afoot with this town. So before this happened, the local cotton crop was destroyed by bull weevils. Second, a fire on the town's west side claimed several buildings and lives. Shortly after the fire, a spotted fever epidemic hit the town, nearly wiping out the remaining citizens and placing the town under quarantine. Finally, a planned railroad got within 27 miles of Aurora, but never made it to the town. Essentially, Aurora, which claimed nearly 3,000 residents at the time, was in serious danger of dying out. Brammer's research showed that the author of this majestic news article was known in the town as a bit of a jokester, and her conclusion is that his article was a last-ditch effort to keep Aurora alive. The theory was further supported by the fact that the author of this article, his name was Hayden, never performed any sort of follow-ups on the story, and he didn't even report on the burial, so... They said that's kind of unusual if it's a significant. He would probably do an extra story on the funeral, like who attended, what it looked like, all that good stuff. Especially, Especially for like the, the society, society pages. Exactly. Every, everybody's got a little obit. Why didn't they like, get an obit? Yeah. <sighs> so many questions. Further, in 1980, Time Magazine interviewed Etta Pegas, an 86-year-old Aurora resident who claimed that Hayden had fabricated the entire story and stated that he wrote it as a joke to bring interest to Aurora. Further claims that the judge never had an operating windmill on his property, so there was nothing for the UFO to crash into. Oh, Jim Mars, who was also interviewed as an eyewitness, said that the judge's windmill technically was not a windmill, but a three-story water pump tower. Okay, so a guy named Mars (laughs) weighed in on the Martian debacle. Yes. And then this old lady shit on it and was like, nah, he did not. This didn't happen. So who? Okay. I'm, I'm going to reserve that question till later. Okay. There were several investigations throughout the years. So in 1998, a Dallas-based TV station called KBFW aired a lengthy report about the Aurora incident. Reporter Richard Ray interviewed former Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporter Jim Mars, our Martian guy, and other locals who said something crashed in Aurora. However, Ray's report was unable to find conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial life or technology. Ray reported that the state of Texas erected a historical plaque in the town that outlines the tale as a legend. So, And then in December of 2005, UFO Files first aired an episode relating to the incident titled Texas Roswell. The episode featured a 1973 investigation led by Bill Case, an aviation writer for the Dallas Times-Herald, and the Texas State Director of Mutual UFO Network, which I didn't know there was a UFO network in Texas. Is I that didn't like, either. Is that like a state-by-state thing? <laughs> I don't, I, ooh, I don't know, because I know there's one that's like Arkansas and Missouri-based, because I saw it on Expedition Unknown, but I don't know about Texas. Interesting. Well, the acronym is MUFON. 
Oh, yes, it's the same. Yeah, I think they oh, okay. do like all of the southern states. Yeah, move on. Okay. So MUFON uncovered two new eyewitnesses to the crash. Mary Evans, who was 15 at the time, she told of how her parents went to the crash site but forbade her from going and the discovery of the alien body that they told her about. Charlie Stevens, who was 10 at the time, told how he saw an airship traveling that had smoke behind it heading towards Aurora. He wanted to see what happened, but his father made him finish his chores first. And then later he told how his father went down to town the next day and saw the wreckage from the crash. So there's people who are like, this didn't happen, but there's still eyewitnesses that swear they saw it. Oh. MUFON then investigated the Aurora Cemetery and uncovered the grave marker that appeared to show a flying saucer of some sort, as well as readings from its metal detector. MUFON asked permission to exhume the site, but the Cemetery Association declined permission after the MUFON investigation, the marker mysteriously disappeared from the cemetery and a three-inch pipe was pl- placed into the ground. MUFON's metal detector no longer picked up the metal readings from the grave. Thus, it is presumed that the metal was removed from the grave. MUFON's report eventually stated that the evidence was inconclusive, but it did not rule out the possibility of a hoax. The episode featured an interview with the mayor who discussed the town's tragic history that we talked about. That's it's a little suspicious. It is conspiracy theories, man. (laughs) So this is probably my favorite part of this whole thing. (laughs) I accidentally stumbled on the Houston Chronicle that did a article on this. And they said that in the 1970s, the International UFO Bureau found out about Aurora and tried to get permission to exhume the body. The private group, led by Hayden Hughes of Oklahoma City, went to a judge, and the media descended on the small town, and it was the first time Aurora had seen this type of attention. A resident said this was quite a mess. The residents had guns and everything because they didn't want them to do it. They continued by saying, I understand this because my parents are buried there, and I don't want people digging around. Earthly body or not, they ought to let it rest in peace. So this article says that the town's folk... Was all like, get the fuck out. You're going to dig up and disturb everybody in the cemetery. Some say that the alien story was concocted by two drunks who wanted to cover up a fire they started at Judge Proctor's windmill. Which I think is pretty funny. I love that. <laughs> like, you're drunk, you catch it on fire, you're like, what are we going to do, man? Aliens. Obviously. My excuse next time I fuck up something. And this is probably the best thing I've ever read on the internet. Are you ready? Absolutely. Somebody else in the town said that the alien didn't die in the crash. It survived and drank a ton of whiskey, played poker with the locals until the Texas Rangers showed up and shot it dead. That's how I'm going to go out. (laughs) Can you just imagine like a little alien on like a round table smoking a cigar, playing poker, chugging some whiskey and then getting shot in the face by a Texas Ranger? (laughs) Yes, like it's little legs like kicking on the chair because it's so short. Because I'm I'm assuming like tiny little Martian dude, not six feet plus tall Martian dude. Oh yeah, I'm envisioning like E.T. kind of. Yes, I was thinking like Marvin the Martian, but in like a silver space suit, like Rocket Man. God, that's my favorite theory, and that's the one I'm going to believe in forever. Yes. So on November 19, 2008, UFO Hunters first aired another television documentary regarding the incident called First Contact. The documentary featured one notable change from the UFO file story. 
Tim Oates, the grandson of Brawley Oates, and now owner of the property that had the sealed well where the UFO wreckage was supposedly buried. He allowed the investigators to unseal the well in order to examine it for possible debris. Water was taken from the well, which was tested. It was normal except for large amounts of aluminum. The well had no significant contents. It was stated in the episode that any large pieces of metal had been removed from the well by the past owner. Further, the remains of the windmill base were found near the well site, which refuted these statements in the 1979 Time Magazine article that the judge never had a windmill on his property. And then, like opening the tomb of King Tut, everyone that disturbed (laughs) it got arthritis. (laughs) Yes. This is a lot of like he said, she said bullshit. Yeah. That's the best thing about conspiracy theories. (laughs) Yes. In addition, the Aurora Cemetery was examined again. Although the cemetery association still did not permit them to exhume the body, they used ground penetrating radar and photos from prior visits and found an unmarked grave in the area. The condition of the grave was badly deteriorated and the radar could not conclusively prove what type of remains exist in there. Uh-huh. So everything's just like, we don't know. We suspect, but we don't know. And then, like, pop culture-wise, the incident was dramatized in the 1986 film The Aurora Encounter, as well as being discussed within the History Channel's Ancient Aliens! Oh, man. It was part of the third season premiere, entitled Aliens and the Old West. (laughs) Man, how have I never heard about this place? I know! I'm shocked. I'm just really shocked. An independent short movie co-written and co-directed by musician and historian Thomas Nagovin. Uh, I mean, is he really a historian, though? Or is he more like a musician that's like, sure, I'm a historian. I need to look that up. He dramatizes the incident as well as combines it with a Nazi conspiracy theory of Diglocki. But there's a theory that the Nazis created ufos to time travel and so that anytime a ufo was spotted in the history of man that's actually nazis i can get on board with that <laughs> so yeah wowza nazi time machines hell yes a natural way to end this but yeah i have a picture of the tombstone that has a little spaceship on it and uh, uh-huh. most of this like 99% of the actual information besides like the tv show stuff came from the aurora city website Oh my gosh, so like they're really leaning into it. They are, and they had a historical like commission website a part of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely take this very seriously and they really uh like come to our town. We have aliens, but they're like, come see Ned the alien. So that's why I was kind of confused by the later stuff being like they don't want them in the cemetery, but I'm like, mm, their city websites being like, come here and see Ned. So I don't buy I mean, it. I like definitely need to stop through there when I come down. Yeah, just Google Aurora City in Texas, and it will give you pretty much the coordinates how to get there. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. I have to add, like, when I was, like, uh, 11 or 12, I think, I saw something in the sky, and it was a cigar-shaped UFO. Mm-hmm. So I'm super pumped that this was also cigar-shaped, because that was my first moment. I really realized, like, that I believed in aliens in some sense. And it was awesome. And it fascinated me. And from then on, I had an obsession with aliens. So. Yeah, aliens creep me out. Like, 
Same. Even as a kid, I would be like afraid to watch too much on Aliens because I'm like, I don't want to tempt them to come probe me or something. I watch too much on Aliens because I want to be prepared. <laughs> Listen, when I lived in Arkansas, I had like this plan. And my my thought is like, Arkansas is a giant cave system. So I'm like, if an alien invasion happens, you can get down into the cave systems. They're not going to find you for a long ass time. So then I go to Blanchard Springs, right? And I'm in like the tour and they're talking about the caves. And I'm like, yes, this is my alien invasion plan. I'm going to come yes. down here. They're not going to find me for a while. There's fresh water. I can stock up on some food. And they looked at me like I was the dumbest human being they've ever seen. And I was like, I am not dumb. I am prepared. You should have thought of this first. Look, I have literally been building my zombie apocalypse team on my Facebook this week. Like, I'm not even kidding. I can show y'all screenshots <laughs> and like asking people what skills they have that they can bring to the team. And most of them are saying a great sense of humor, but I've already got that shit covered. So I need like a helicopter pilot and a medic and stuff like that. So, but yeah, so I've also I want to just take to the caves. I got nothing except my husband. I keep on thinking about that. I'm like, if an apocalypse happens, I need him to be home or I'm not going to survive. Oh, yeah. No, y'all are definitely on my team, too. I haven't told you yet, but you are. Like, he can build anything and he can, he's just, he's infuriatingly good at everything. So. He is. So are you. Y'all are like the couple that I wish that we could be. Yeah, I can't build vehicles and like house shit. He can. He's building a car right now. And I'm like, how do you know how to do that? It just baffles me. I don't. But you can be like, I'm bored, so I'm going to paint this amazing Grinch <laughs> sign to put out in the front yard for Christmas. And it literally looks like someone slapped it out of the old movie onto a piece of wood or whatever it was. Almost like cardboard. Yeah, I can do that, but that's not going to save me from zombies. You can, make, find it. <laughs> you can paint like realistic decoys to put up around the perimeter. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't. I, oh, man. I really... I really hope I don't have to live through the zombie apocalypse. Although I think the smart thing would be to go to like a Lowe's and then just take it as your own because you can grow shit in there. You have weapons. I yeah. like this plan too. I might steal that. Yeah, that's my plan. When They're I lived in Arkansas, I was like, I got chickens. We have like an arsenal of like, you know, we shoot guns for fun. But I remember sitting at the library and my teens were like, we're going to come to your house. I'm like, no, you're not. Those are my <laughs> chickens. Those are yes. my eggs. Don't look at my chickens. Yes. I don't have chickens anymore. Although, it's all like, who goes first in a zombie apocalypse? And then, like, everybody looks at Murray. And I'm like, no, don't eat him first. No, poor little Murray. But, I mean, let's face it. It's either me or Murray. Like, Ruger's definitely not going before me. (laughs) Real talk. Yeah, no. I think think Zeke would definitely be, like, Will Smith and I Am Legend with just him and Murray, if anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, I'd probably eat my husband before I'd eat my dog. Sorry, Terry. (laughs) Understandable. Understandable. Yeah, he's so funny. So he bought a race car, and he's going to do, like, the Rocky Mountain races, where you drive through the Rockies, you stop your race car, you stop and everything. And he's like, sorry, for a year, everything's got to stop. And I'm like, what do you mean you got to stop? He's like, well, the money's got to go to the car. And I'm like, are you saying I don't get a birthday or anniversary? He's like, no, babe, the car is your anniversary. (laughs) How? Like, we don't do gifts. Like, we stopped doing gifts a long time ago. We just do experiences. We go on trips and stuff. But he's like, no, we gotta we gotta save up for this car. I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah, no. no, no boo. <laughs> not on board. Yeah. God, stupid car. I'm excited. What do you got for me? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm... Oh, I'm, I'm excited. 
Okay, so everyone has uh, seen the movie based on Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. Yes! Or has read The Da Vinci Code. I have, and people shit on that book so much, but I actually loved it, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And I love the movie, too. Oh, I did, too. I loved it so much. It was really good. So the whole basis behind that... Which also, let me preface this, I grew up Southern Baptist, and I am in no way trying to offend people because this is a religious conspiracy theory, so please don't come for us if I if you're offended for me talking about conspiracy theories that are related to the Bible, but yes. I mean, real talk, there are some conspiracy theories about religion that are way worse. This one actually seems pretty logical to me because yes. a lot of it makes sense historically. Yes, so what I'm going to talk about is the conspiracy theory that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. And in Dan Brown's book, that whole basis is that not only were they married, but they had a family and the like Illuminati or someone is after the descendants of Jesus. Oh my God. So, my favorite conspiracy theory. I'm so excited. Yes. So, and if you can think of anything that I leave out, please stop me and tell me. So, the Dan Brown book, The Da Vinci Code, was published in 2003 and kind of brought up, again, this idea that's been been around forever, that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and that this fact has been suppressed by the church for thousands of years. And people are saying that Dan Brown, writing about it, actually uncovered the quote-unquote real truth of the matter. So even though it's it's strictly a work of fiction and he did a really good job of backing up his stuff with historical accuracy. That's why they're kind of meh. So this is, yikes, why can I not read today? That's me every day. Okay, so let me just, these are just quick looks at his argument. So the first argument towards this theory is the fact is that none of the four gospels say that Jesus was celibate. This is a bit of a rhetorical sleight of hand. Yes, the Gospels do not explicitly say Jesus was celibate. But Jacoba Vici, who wrote about this extensively, says that it overlooks the bigger issue, namely that none of the Gospels or any of the New Testament documents or any other early Christian sources tell us that Jesus was married. Absolutely none. Which it also doesn't take into account the lost books of the Bible from like early childhood to adulthood. Mm-hmm. for Jesus. So I guess they're just basing it on like the Bible itself and none of the lost books or any of the other evidence. Well, I don't know if you touch on it, but the Council of Nicaea, I believe, yes. is where basically a bunch of dudes come together and they're like, what do we want the Bible to be? And they cut out books that were written by women. They cut out everything that made Jesus look human. So exactly. that they're not really lost. They were chunked. <laughs> like, they exactly. Were yes. Yeah. So cool. he could have had a whole, there's also the have you ever seen that movie Stigmata? Yes, I love that movie. Uh, yeah, and that one really drives in that there is a book written by Jesus that the, is supposedly buried in the Vatican somewhere where nobody can ever see it. But it's yes. part of that too. Like, But it would be, in my opinion, if you look historically, for a man of his age to be unmarried, that would be more of a sin than for him to be married. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, and this is just a side note, but because the... Bible has become like so edited and parsed down to what they think is best is why I'm not, I say I'm spiritual instead of religious. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And like, like the the translations, you lose a lot of the original meaning meaning when you translate it over and over and over again, which it has. Yep. And it's been translated for thousands of years, pretty much since the. But like Mary Magdalene supposedly wrote her own book of the Bible. There's yes. the book of Jubilee, which I believe that's the one that talks about the incest. Because if you only got two people on Earth, there's gonna be incest. That's so just ding 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 ding. ding. Yep. <laughs> like, but they took out everything that would like gross people out, or you know, made Jesus look human. Because I think it came down to like, do we make him human or do we make him divine? And that's why the Bible is probably more primarily like he is. You know, son of God, he's divine. Yes. One of my favorite lost book of the Bible stories, I can't remember what it's called, but basically it's when Jesus is like 11 or 12 and he's out in the field playing with a friend and accidentally kills him and runs back home and is like, dad, what do I do? And Joseph's like, ah, it's fine. You're Jesus. And just like drops it. (laughs) So yeah, we could do like a whole show on the lost books of the Bible and all of that. But yes, so... The claim for them saying that he was celibate is that because there is no actual positive evidence, it's not a noteworthy fact that he was celibate. So it's just a lot of conspiracy theories are like a gray area. And this is very much a gray area type situation. This is like his best argument that Jesus wasn't married because it there's no evidence that he was married. Yeah. Kind of thing. But yeah, like you said, I mean, at his age... It would be more a sin not to be married. Yeah, that's how I've always looked at it. And I think that the idea that Mary Magdalene was a whore, that yes. wasn't true. She was never named as the prostitute that they talk about that washes feet. But, you know, you take, it's like the telephone game again. And one person says it and then people are like, oh, obviously you think of Mary Magdalene, you think she's a prostitute. But exactly. My whole thing is like, she's a prostitute. Then why do they have parades for her in France every year? And like, worship her I'm like she was oh. there are some books that say that she was one of his apostles yes and, which I do touch on yes yeah, yeah no people aren't gonna like that <laughs> right but yeah and um the second argument is that rabbis then and now were or are married if Jesus wasn't married someone would have noticed yeah yeah absolutely And this is uh, just basically a rehashed version of Dan Brown's claim that Jewish men were expected to be married and the celibacy would have been unusual, just like we were saying. But again, the facts don't fit. Though Jesus was called rabbi by his followers, there is no indication that he held the formal official office. Mm -hmm. His followers addressed him as such simply because he was their teacher and they were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Yeah. So, yes, moreover, there is no evidence that all rabbis were married. On the contrary, it was not uncommon for rabbis dedicated to the special study, that's hard to say, of God's word to remain single. So kind of like Catholic priests now, sometimes it was leaning itself towards them not being married because they were married to their religion. Yeah. So number three, had Jesus been celibate, Paul would certainly have invoked him as an example when arguing for celibacy, but he doesn't. Never once does Paul argue that Christians should be celibate because Jesus was celibate, not once. This is another argument from silence. We don't know what Paul knew, nor do we know why Paul uses some examples and not others. Arguments from silence are regarded fallacious for precisely this reason. Moreover, Jacobovici doesn't bother to mention that Paul rarely invokes Jesus as a moral example for any of his teachings. Yeah. 
which I think is a pretty good point. So the fact is that Paul tells us very little about Jesus's historical life. That doesn't mean he was unaware of it, but he simply doesn't invoke many specific examples of Jesus's behavior to back up his teaching. Thus, his silence on Jesus's celibacy is not noteworthy in the least. Mm -hmm. And I really like this idea because even for people who don't believe of Jesus as a religious figure, he was very much a historical figure. Oh, absolutely. And it kind of goes back to this, too. I mean, there's evidence that he was a real live person in history and all of that. So it's not just like like the boogeyman, mm-hmm. like no actual historical evidence. So, yeah, so I really like that. So number four, Mary the Magdalene went to Jesus's tomb to prepare his body for burial. Then and now, no woman would touch the naked body of a dead rabbi unless she was family. Jesus was whipped, beat, and crucified. No woman would wash the blood and sweat off his private parts unless she was his wife. Oh, that's a really good. Yeah, so I don't mind that either. Mm -hmm. In addition, Jacobovici fails to mention that other women went with Mary to the tomb to care for his body. And this is evident in Matthew 28, 1 and Mark 16, 1. Are we to think that these women were also married to Jesus? And then if we think that they're married to Jesus, does this mean that Jesus was a polygamist? Oh, I haven't heard that. That's interesting. I hadn't either. So, yeah. So he's claiming that because of this, this argument just doesn't work. I kind of want to believe in polygamous Jesus just because. (laughs) Like, or like polyamorous Jesus, like before his time, he... I always preach, you know, people try to use religion to hate on other people on this day in this day and age. And I love the idea of Jesus being like, I literally never said that. Mm-hmm. Sit down, love everyone. So, I know that's always my argument. Like, I love like original hippie Jesus. It's just like, I love you. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care who you love. He never talks about homosexuality. He never talks about any of the other things that people use him as a way to you know, be mean to other people. Yes, I love liberal hippie Jesus. Me too. So the number five, in 1947 in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, the Gnostics got their revenge. At that time, several of their gospels were found hidden in jars. They all tell the same story. Jesus was married. So he, Jacobovici says that this is false. And I've seen a lot of articles where similar Gospels were found stating that God had a wife, but I hadn't heard that some were found where Jesus had a wife. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of, like, translation stuff, because sometimes, like, the word for wife could mean other things. But a mm-hmm. lot of times they call her his companion, and then in that time, that would have meant wife. So it's yeah. very complicated. You have to—the the verbiage is complicated, because you could argue either way, but a lot yeah. of people say that the way that— they talked about her would have been wife. Yeah. So Jacobovici says this is false. And he says, he, he directly says that there's absolutely no evidence to back this up. None of the texts say that Jesus was married, but again, it's a whole translation thing. Who's mm-hmm. translating it? How is it being translated? Is it being translated in an age where they don't think that Jesus should be married or, like, there's so many suppositions to this. So the closest part of the Bible that be construed as confirming this 
is in the Gospel of Philip, where we are told in a very, it says fragmentary and hard to decipher text. So that goes back to the who, what, when, where, why of deciphering. But it's that Jesus, quote unquote, kissed Mary, but there's no indication it was sexual in nature. Harvard scholar Karen King argues that this kiss is likely asexual in nature, and it was a kiss of fellowship that Jesus offered to his closest followers. So I don't know. I'm like, I'm real loving the idea of Jesus being married. But anyway, so number six. In 1980, in Talpiot, just outside of Jerusalem, and I probably butchered that word, archaeologists discovered a 2,000-year-old burial tomb. Ooh, I remember seeing this on TV. (laughs) Yes, I know. That's like part of what made me so, so excited. And this is also where I found out about the whole God had a wife thing. So it was an ossuary that purportedly belonged to Mary Magdalene. And it had the inscription Maria Mene. There is not space to enter into the merits of claims here. So Jacobovici is like, um, I mean, I guess there's evidence, but I really don't think they were married. So he had a reconstruction of the tomb done, but it's listed as highly problematic and it's not been received by modern scholars. So I think it's kind of a little bit of him writing and showing what he wants to believe instead of the actual historical context and evidence, which bothers me. So there's even a CNN article that claims that Jacobovici's Jesus tomb claim is a story that doesn't hold together. Mm-hmm. So, like, dude gets called out by CNN itself. Like, you're full of shit. Wasn't Magdalene supposedly buried in France, though? See, that's what I thought. But then this was supposedly in Jerusalem. So, that I'm not sure of. I can't remember. I should have looked that up. I'll have to look that up later. So, the last one, number seven. The Bible says our lost gospel states that Jesus and Mary had two children and it witnesses to the idea that for their earliest followers, Jesus and his wife Mary were co-deities embroiled in the politics of their time. No, that was by Jacobovici. I don't know why I said it was in the Bible. (sighs) Words, guys, words. So this last plea from Jacobovici centers on a so-called quote-unquote lost gospel that tells us Jesus is married. But the truth of the matter is that this gospel he refers to is not a gospel at all, nor is it new. This gospel is from a Syriac manuscript dated to the 6th century AD that contains, ooh, that's a word I forgot to look up the pronunciation of, pseudepigraphical story entitled Joseph and Asenath. That story has been well known to scholars for years, and despite the claims of Jacobovici, it has nothing to do with Jesus at all. Indeed, the name of Jesus is never mentioned. So yeah, the... This beautiful line at the end of this that I read on this article was that Jacobovici's research is viewed as, quote unquote, Mm whack-a-mole. Like it's whack-a-mole of facts. So it's just, it's this weird amalgamation. But I mean, that's the best thing about conspiracy theories is you can just rabble-rouse about them all day long. And even if there's nothing to back it up, you can still be like, well, it could have happened. Yeah. But yes, yeah, okay. so I did look it up. Mary Magdalene's skull and bones are supposedly interred in the south of France at a basilica and it's a relic. So she is a religious relic. Okay. Well where the hell I think I'm missing a page in my notes. Saint Maximin La Saint Baum, a little town in south eastern region of France. 
There's a grotto in a medieval basilica that attracts thousands of pilgrims a year. They believe that the cave known as the Bomb of Mary Magdalene holds her bones. Huh. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so I don't know where that page is, but I remember when it first came out and seeing it on TV and us talking about it. Isn't it the tomb of Jesus was found in Jerusalem and it had an ossuary from Mary Magdalene in there? I think so. No, I don't remember. Oh my God, guys, y'all don't hold me to that. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm talking about today. Ah, they got a picture. Oh, das ist das. It looks like a fish. <laughs> oh, no, I see a face. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, so that's my um, historical. Jesus was married. I am like 100% standing for it that he was married. Well, I think the biggest thing in my opinion, which is just an opinion, not a fact, but if you think about like, probably like 15, 1600s, the church was really drilling in that women needed to be subservient, that women shouldn't be powerful, that they were kind of like, that was the time the witch's hammer was coming out. So women that had opinions could be like how to try and kill them as being witches and stuff. So I think the last thing that the church wanted at the time was for there to be a powerful woman who was an apostle in the left hand of Jesus, because like you see, like Da Vinci's Last Supper, people say that the person to his left is Mary Magdalene, or to his mm-hmm. right is right is Mary Magdalene, and that would put her in a more pow- powerful position than Paul. And there, a lot of people say that he is the stone the church is built on, but there are people that say, well, what if that was actually Mary Magdalene, and then that's why he was bitter and didn't talk about Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes, and I I'm trying to find the article now that I read and forgot to print off but it talks about there are some texts in the bible that refer to mary as closer than his apostles and yeah that so let's see and a lot of people say that the verbiage that they used to show the closeness of her would be something more than just you know a follower that it kind of alludes that they were married yes yes yeah, I and her involvement at the crucifixion, like she was right up there. She was, you know, weeping, like mm-hmm. a lot of things. I mean, a lot of people were weeping, but you know, her being, you know, with his mother, you know, yeah. like closeness. It doesn't. There's just a lot of things. It makes more sense to me, I think, not to be like church is bad, blah blah blah. But like every religion has a dark period, and the, you know, the church did, you know, kind of hate on women for a while so yes okay yeah 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 and we talked about how she would be referred to as companion and yeah the article i originally read said that she in the gospel of philip was referred to as jesus's koinonos which is a greek term for companion or partner and is depicted as being closer to jesus than any other apostle yeah and she was trusted because she went to apostolize uh, Greece and France. So the fact that she had the trust of Jesus to do that and that she, you know, did that on her own shows that she was very close to him. Yes, and in uh, in an exchange between Peter and Mary, he admits to her the Savior... Oh, my God, words. Jesus Christ. Sorry, Jesus. The Savior (laughs) loved you above all other women which is a tense moment in the scripture that seems to portray the jealousy that the other apostles might have felt for Mary's relationship with Jesus. So, yeah, it's 
it's just so interesting. And I think we could do an entire episode just on the Bible and Jesus's life. And I'm sure we will at some point. Oh, absolutely. I'm fascinated with the history of religion. But, you know, a lot of times you have to, you know, when people are telling stories to relate something to you, it might not necessarily be fact what they're saying, but what they're doing is trying to teach you how to react to something. So, like, you know, like the giants and the floods and stuff in the Bible, like there's been proof that there's been floods in the Middle East, but it wasn't necessarily the entire world based on like right. sediment and stuff in the you know archaeological evidence. But, you know, these are all stories like the flood story is, you know, in Gilgamesh, like way before Jesus even existed. So these yes. are like moral tales to teach you right from wrong and stuff. So I... You know, I believe there's a lot of truth in the Bible, but I'm not the kind of person that thinks it's a thousand percent accurate because I think they're tales to teach you how to be a good person and how to be Christian and how to be, you know, worthy of the kingdom of heaven and stuff. Yes. But And there's there's just so much censure and editing to the Bible. So that's true. And if you think about it, if you're translating it from like one language and then translating it to another language from the language you already translated, there's going to be things lost. You're going to. Yes lose some of the original meaning but yeah and there's words. some words and you know uh what aramaic was mm-hmm. like like it doesn't exist anymore so when you're translating there's probably words in aramaic that don't translate so if you're translating it into something that we can understand you're probably losing its meaning so it yes. makes perfect sense to me love it good i'm so glad that you know about that too because i it fascinates me I love it. Yeah, I love the Da Vinci Code. I, do I believe she's buried under the Louvre? No. <laughs> like, no, I do not believe that. I believe she's probably in South France because, I mean, that's where people pilgrimage to. But then again, if she was, people are like, oh, she's a prostitute. Then why would, you know, devout Catholics pilgrimage to her body every year? To, yeah. you know. Also, if she was a prostitute, why would they go to her every year? Like, why would they? Yeah. Anyway, whatever. I bet she was just a badass lady. I agree. I, uh, yeah, big fan. Oh, yes. Big fan of hippie Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Real talk. Like those memes where they're like, I don't know about what Jesus you're looking at that's okay with you putting kids in cages and shit, but it's not my Jesus. That's how I feel <sighs> right now. <laughs> Ooh, don't get me started on that topic. I'm just, I think I've said that. I'm like, I like original hippie Jesus that loved everybody and fed the poor and hugged the inflicted and yes oh my god i think jesus is like my biggest thing is like he didn't hate gay people if god hated gay people there wouldn't be gay penguins i don't understand yes (laughs) i say that all the time and people are like what is fucking wrong with you i'm like (sighs) but free will kina free will (laughs) i'm just like i don't know man all right, so moving on, I'm going to do my random. Yes! This is probably my longest one. I'm interested to see, since I am terrible at picking random words, and I'm so sorry. She gave me car, which was perfect. So I remember I lived with my friend Katrina, who's one of our Patreon members, um, and we watched this documentary. And we watched it, and we started out being like, there's no fucking way that this happened. But as we watched it, we were like, wait. And by the end of it, we're like, 100%, we believe this happened. <laughs> Even to this day, we see things on it, and we're like, Ugh. so I'm going to talk about the Beatles that Paul McCartney actually died. Fuck yes, I almost picked this uh, one. I'm so happy you did it. 
So the Beatles are undeniably one of the biggest and most profitable rock bands of all time and of any genre. They've, you know, Guinness Book World Records. They have several. They've, everybody knows who the Beatles are. And they're, it doesn't matter that it's been this long. They're still part of our pop culture, hence that there's a movie out right now about the Beatles. Uh, Personally, I like the Kinks better, but... (laughs) That's a unpopular opinion. <laughs> if you saw my podcasting room, there's a whole wall of Kinks albums. But I don't you have Kinks tattoos? I do. I have a Kinks tattoo. It's a "Don't forget to dance." It was love it. I used to dance on my dad's toes to that song when I was a kid. So when my dad passed away, I got that tattoo for him. Aww, yeah. Love that. Then it's handwriting and all that. But anyway. <laughs> I think I talk about my dead dad all the time on this podcast. I'm like, it's not sad. It's been a, I'm good. I've come to terms with it. It's just, you know, it's just a shout out. (laughs) It just comes out. (laughs) So, do, do, do. Where was I at now? Okay. So, I'm going to start with a little historical detour because I was not aware that the original. Beatles are not who we know of today. So the four that we know as the Beatles, they're called the Fab Four, and they're the ones that became really popular, but there were other members of the Beatles. What? I know. Okay, so 15-year-old Paul McCartney met 16-year-old John Lennon in 1957. Lennon was in a skiffle band called the Quarry Men, which was named after the high school they were at. They were at the Quarry High School. Huh. So I, I didn't know what a skiffle band was, so I googled and it's a music genre with jazz, blues, folk, and American folk influences. And it uses a combination of manufactured and homemade or improvised instruments. Well, that sounds rad as fuck. Right? So, anywho, Lennon invited McCartney to join the group on rhythm guitar. With the band later inviting George Harrison and the original bass player, Stuart Sutcliffe, to join. Following a string of concerts in Liverpool, the Beatles' first manager, Alan Williams, arranged a residency in Hamburg for the band. Hamburger. Hamburg. Oh, my God, Gina. <laughs> Can you tell I'm hungry? <laughs> oh, Hamburger. I'm, like, secretly eating leftovers over here when you're not looking. <laughs> no judgment. So, at Hamburg, it's when they would see the original Beatles drummer, Pete Best, join the band. In 1961, Sutcliffe left the band and McCartney replaced him on bass. And then following some criticism, Best deuced out of there and was replaced by a young Ringo Starr. Hmm. So now you got your fab four. You got the four in place. But there's two other dudes that are in there that both were like, fuck off. I mean, I love the Beatles and I never knew that. I didn't either. I am blown away. So following a run of shows at the Cavern Club, they were spotted by Brian Epstein, who would later go on to become their official manager in 62. Initially rejected by Decca Records, Epstein would sign the band to EMI's Parlophone label and in June initiated their first recording session at Abbey Road Studio. Oh, wow. In October of the same year, the Beatles' first single, Love Me Do, peaked at number 17 on the charts. In 1963, a sharp-suited Beatles would record their first LP, Please, please me. A roaring success in the UK, peaking at number one in the chart. What, what? Extensive European tours followed, with thousands of fans filling the streets outside each venue. The reaction to the band was dubbed Beatlemania. In 1964, the British invasion happened, where the Beatles hit the USA for the first time. The Ed Sullivan Show played host to their first television performance. 
And it was a landmark for the band and was watched by approximately 73 million people in the United States. Wow. Which, think of like 1964, how many people had TVs? That'd be like nearly everybody watched this. I mean, it's, I know everybody has like five TVs in their house now, but back then you were lucky if you had a television. So to me, it blows my mind. Yeah. So here's just a quick list of some of their major achievements and accomplishments that made them historically important. Their first album topped the UK charts for 30 weeks. It's a long ass time. It's huge. 11 of their 12 albums reached number one on national charts. The Fab Four were made members of the Order of the British Empire for their contribution to music by Queen Elizabeth II. What? Sgt. Pepper was ranked one of the greatest albums of all time by Rolling Stones. They won an Oscar for the best original score for the film Let It Be. They won 10 Grammys. They are known as the best-selling band in history. And they were included in Time's list of the most important people of the 20th century. Ariana Grande recently is the first artist to occupy number one, two, and three on the charts on Billboard since the Beatles did it in 1964. Oh, wow. Get it, Ariana. I know. Like, not even, like, Elvis or Michael Jackson. Like, I mean, that's insane. Since 64. Side note, doesn't, didn't Michael Jackson own the rights to all the Beatles songs before his death? I'm not sure. I don't. Why do I feel like that was a thing? Anyway, ignore me. Go on. I mean, a lot of, they're still alive. Or are they? Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Drake's Scorpion album set a record by posting seven simultaneous singles on the Billboard's top 10. And that toppled the Beatles record for five singles set in 1964. Which, unpopular opinion again. I don't think Drake's the best. Like. I was like, why is he the one that broke this record? Yeah, no. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I almost called him the nickname that I used when he was on Degrassi, and I can't because it's not (laughs) Degrassi. I'm like, I think, like, Kendrick Lamar, and, like, there's so many better than Drake, but that's just me. Big mood. But the Beatles remain the only act to monopolize the Hot 100's entire top five in a week. So they still hold that record. Okay. So, with a band that's recognizable and they're always in the spotlight, there's obviously going to be conspiracy theories floating around since you can't escape the Beatles. <laughs> Real talk. I actually have a poster, or like a full floor-to-ceiling poster of Yellow Submarine in my bedroom. <laughs> there's this British pub on the Riverwalk, and you can go into, like, the back bar, and you have, like, booths, but you're in this, like, almost like your own little room. But we were in the Beatle room when I was here with my friend David. It was oh, just man. like... Beetle shit everywhere. It was really cool. They also, they also have kink stuff. So, I mean, okay, listen. So, I grew up in a weird household. My dad was obsessed with the kinks. So it was the only music that, I mean, he liked U2 and a few other things, but like he played, he blared the kink stuff. And then my mom was obsessed with Alice Cooper, which is like a weird. That's so, wonderful. Like growing up, my parents would be like, we'll disown you if you listen to country. You're going to listen to the kinks and Alice Cooper. And then everybody else at school is like, listening to country so i feel like i got way better experience with music <laughs> okay look i'm so jealous because i was raised on hank williams jr and <laughs> yeah, garth brooks I feel, I feel like classic rock and like sh- the original shock rocker like i grew up with the best music around it was just I amazing that shit. Oh. and then my sister like she's eight years older than me and then she was like obsessed with nirvana 
and she wore plaid all the time. It was like, I want to live in a cardboard box in Seattle. Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> She yes, like grunge. So yeah, I grew up in like a really fantastic like musical family. But I mean, we were hillbillies, but at least we had good taste in music. You were cool hillbillies. Yes, my mom would like. She always loved Alice Cooper. She always talked about being like listening to him, and everybody else is listening to country, and they're like, "What's wrong with you?" And she's like, "I have taste. Okay, <laughs> get off me." Anyway, <laughs> back on track, Gina. <laughs> All right, so one of the most bizarre and I honestly think most convincing conspiracy theories is that Paul McCartney actually died. So the story begins on November 9th, 1966, when Paul McCartney is said to have been involved in a deadly car crash when his vehicle slid on an icy road and directly into a pole. Instead of broadcasting on major news outlets that one of the world's most iconic musicians had died... Uh, John Lennon and the rest of the band started worrying also about, like, their fan base and what that would happen. So, also, like, if you've never watched Beatlemania, you should YouTube it. Because, like, women were fainting just at the sight of them. Can you imagine what would happen if they were at a funeral? Like, people probably would. I mean, legitimately, there's this kind of makes sense. Because, like, people would probably kill themselves. Like, they were that obsessed. Like. And that kind of happened with Elvis. You had, like, people just hurting themselves because they were so distraught about Elvis. But then they also said that, like, Lennon and the rest of them were worrying about, like, what would happen to their success? Would their careers be over? So I don't think this is too crazy so far. Makes sense. Actually, yeah, I, like, fully prescribe to this conspiracy theory. And this is the thing that got me when I watched the documentary. They never toured again after... Uh, their last concert was August 29th, 1966. This rap was... Yeah, <laughs> and then, like, the wreck was in November. So they were never seen live again after this, too. Oh. So their last concert was in Candlestick Park in San Francisco, California. But rumors didn't really begin to circulate until 1969 after a college newspaper columnist sent out an article titled, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? Like, I was just thinking about Twitter, like, you constantly see that celebrities are dead, and then immediately they were like, no, I'm still alive, but if this is, like, an article and you don't have the internet, it would be a while before people would be like, oh, he's actually alive, so I'm sure yes. this is a lot of it, too. This actually sparked the outrageous long-standing rumor that Paul McCartney was replaced by faux Paul, or fall. <laughs> okay. It is said that the Paul that we know today is an imposter who had been playing bass and singing for the past 50 years. This supposed faux Paul is said to be a guy named Billy Shears. Or there's a theory that it's actually William Campbell, who was the winner of the McCartney lookalike contest, and that he was recruited to be the imposter afterwards. Damn, I need to start going to lookalike contest. Might be my big break. (laughs) Uh, Over the years, the most avid conspiracy theorists have come up with some pretty convincing evidence, I guess for some people. For example, if you listen to Revolution Number 9 backwards, there's an abrupt noise that sounds eerily like a car crash, and then a voice that can be made out saying, he hit a pole, better get him to the surgeon. Yikes. If you play I'm So Tired backwards, you can hear Paul is dead, which I think that's probably like the number one people think about is the... Huh. 
So at the end of the White Album song, I'm So Tired, Lennon fades out the track with a few seconds of gibberish. If you play it backwards, it does indeed sound like Lennon is saying, Paul is dead, man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. <laughs> one, of, one of the reasons that this alleged secret message gained a lot of traction is because the Beatles actually did have the tendency to put out secret messages in their albums. So normally they're not trying to like do morbid cover-ups, but they're doing like trying to slip naughty things past the censors. So in 1965, song Girl, for instance, features the Beatles saying tit over and over. Nice. <laughs> and on early uh, pressings of Sgt. Pepper, the album ended with a dog whistle designed to annoy any dog with an earshot of the stereo. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I do too. I didn't know that. Uh, they've also theorized that when you look at a picture of Paul before and after the crash, the two look very different. They have different shaped faces and jaws and their eyes are too different to be the same person. But listen, like when you're in your twenties, you change. Like I don't look like I did when I was like 18. So I can understand like your whole shit changes. Well, I mean, he also like slammed his face into a pole. <laughs> it's true. Although some people said that he wasn't even in a car accident. That's like the flip side. People said that that didn't actually happen, but okay, uh, I think we'll get to that. Okay. A clip of audio from the end of Strawberry Fields Forever in which a distorted voice of John Lennon can be heard saying something. Lennon claims he was saying cranberry sauce. <laughs> that makes sense. The Beatles press officer claimed that he was saying, I'm very bored. But conspiracy theories saying thinks he's saying I buried Paul. Okay, so the syllables work out for any three of those, but <laughs> they are very different. They're very different. So the album covers are the next big thing. Like people think that each album car cover is putting clues to what really happened. So one of the most like bizarre and in-depth ones is the Abbey Road cover. This is my favorite one. At first glance, you see the four members standing in the middle of a crosswalk across from the recording studio, Abbey Road Studios. But if you are a crazed theorist, you're going to think there's some compelling clues to suggest that he's really dead. Paul is the only one pictured with his right foot forward instead of his left. He is the only one barefoot and he has a cigarette in his hand and his eyes are closed. Ghosts can't wear shoes. Yeah. Just can't happen. But why would it go smoke? I mean, they're not going to get lung cancer, so might as well. Okay, listen. So, my grandmother was a chain smoker. My meemaw loved her cigarettes, her Virginia Slims, if you will. So, after she passed away, there'd be times, like, a lot of us would walk into a room and we'd smell cigarette smoke. And, like, the most wild story is, since I didn't have a spooky story, here you go. I was in a really brutal car accident when I was 16. I rolled my car down an embankment like about five times or whatever. And um, I don't really remember a whole lot about that. Like I got to the hospital and they like treated me. And when I got home, they gave me pain pills or whatever. So my mom said she kept hearing something. So she went in there, opened the door. She said I was sitting straight up staring at the corner. And she said she smelled cigarette smoke. And then she asked me, she's like, Keena, who are you talking to? And I was like, Mom, Mima, she's right there. And mom's like okay, what is she saying? And I told her that, you know, Mima said that I was going to be okay and that, you know, everything's good now. And then she told me to tell my mom to go back to where I had my car accident and look down. So my mom's like, what the fuck? Okay. So the next day my mom went to the, where I had my car accident and took pictures and stuff. And she looked down and there was this little pin 
it was a guardian angel pin that we kept in the visor of the car. But like a few years earlier, we were in a really bad car accident. Somebody pulled out in front of us and ran a stop sign and we T-boned her. And after that wreck, the angel's wing was all bent and like distorted and stuff. But when my mom picked up the guardian angel, the wing was fine. It was back to normal. So my mom's like, yeah, my mom's like, you were talking to dead people. (laughs) So she says she remembers the smoke. It smelled like somebody was smoking in there. But anyway, yeah, I apparently talk to dead people when I'm out of it. But that's okay. One of the spirits that likes to walk through my haunted ass house, they also smoke. And like, I woke up from a nap very annoyed one day and was like, there is no smoking in my house. And I haven't smelled (laughs) it since. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. In that same house, my bed, I'd stayed in several rooms at that time, but when my sister moved out, I went to her room and there was a hallway and then our laundry room was at the end. You know, when you're like going to sleep, you like close your eyes and then you open them up or whatever. And sometimes yeah. I close my eyes, every light would be off in the house. And when I'd open them again, the laundry room light would be on and yes. I'd be like, ah, and I'd run in there and like wake my mom up and she <laughs> finally went in there and was like, you're freaking keen out. Stop it. And it never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> like go mom just yes. yell at it ghost i need to get some sleep stop yep. it yep that's me <laughs> okay back to the dead guy okay okay so a lot of people think that the cover is not just an innocent picture but it's actually said to resemble a funeral procession john is wearing all white like a priest ringo's in all black like a pallbearer and george is bringing up the rear and blue jean get up like a grave digger huh Ooh. Also, yeah. Also, in the background, there's a Volkswagen Beetle that just happened to carry a license plate 28IF, interpreted as a message that McCartney would have been 28 years old in the photo if he had lived. Huh. That's also a stretch. People are reaching. (laughs) The Lonely Hearts album is also supposed to have a cryptic message. This famously busy album, if you've ever seen it, it's a lot's going on. There is an open palm over McCartney's head, which fans interpreted as being akin to a priest blessing the dead beetle before his internment. In the corner next to a doll wearing a welcome the Rolling Stones jumper is a reddish driving club symbolizes McCartney's bloody car crash death. There's too much much reaching in this one. Yeah. A bass guitar made out of flowers in the foreground only has three strings, allegedly symbolizing a dead McCartney as the missing string. If you hold a mirror over Lonely Hearts in the drum logo and it appears to use the number and royal numerals to spell out 11-9, he die. An alleged reference to McCartney's dying on November 9th, 1966. And finally, the whole scene depicts McCartney's burial. In truth, the album is supposed to depict a burial, but a metaphorical one. The Beatles wanted a psychedelic way to communicate to fans that they're Collarless suit days were over and the world should instead prepare for a quartet of sophisticated studio musicians, which is more realistic. They were trying to, like, kill their past image and do the new thing. Yes. The Bare Bones cover of the White Album left even more devoted theorists stumped for clues. So fans instead turned to the fold-out collage poster included with the album. A snapshot of what appears to be McCartney in glasses and a civil servant's haircut was theorized to be William Campbell, the winner of the McCartney lookalike contest. The second is allegedly a picture of McCartney's corpse being washed prior to autopsy. Yikes. Although Morgatons do wash bodies prior to autopsy, they definitely don't give them bubble baths. So I don't really 
feel like but he's that. a star. <laughs> Give him that bubble bath. And it looks like he's washing his hair too. Like it doesn't make sense. There are two album covers from yesterday and today, a compilation album released for the North American market. One is a cover that the Beatles wanted to use, an extremely abstract concept image intended to symbolize the fact that they remained flesh and blood despite their fame. The other is a photo that ultimately ended on the album. For conspiracy theorists, the Butcher cover symbolism was easy. It depicted the carnage of McCartney's death, which they're holding like baby doll parts, like, <laughs> like pieces. It looks like body parts, but it's just, it's very weird. Okay. Even in the new cover that they actually use, Carney's sitting inside a steamer trunk, and they think that's they're alluding to him being in a coffin. But again, huge stretch. Good lord. A lot of the things that's just like, it's been 50 years. If he was a fake dude, don't you think people would have noticed by now? And a lot of the evidence is pretty, like, circumstantial. But if you think about, like, Millie Vanilli, they didn't make it very far pretending to be somebody else. <laughs> Trace. <laughs> they caught them pretty quick. One last one, like the reverse of Sgt. Pepper shows McCartney facing a different direction than everybody else. So they're thinking it's like the three surviving and the it's crazy. So as an organization, the Beatles were pretty annoyed with all the death conspiracies. McCartney himself said it's all bloody stupid. McCartney told Life magazine reporter in 1970 who had hiked to a remote Scottish farm that he was staying in. <laughs> Which stalker Jesus. He said that the people who are making up these rumors should take a look at themselves a little bit more. John Lennon, by contrast, seemed to delight in the legend, which he mentioned in no less than two songs. In the Beatles' Glass Onion, he says, here's another clue for y'all. Uh, the walrus was Paul. And after the Beatles' breakup, he can post a hate song against McCartney containing a verse, those freaks was right when they said you was dead. Yikes. I didn't know that he had a song like that. I didn't either. So was Paul killed 50 years ago and his friends covered it up? Or is he alive the whole time and the band just thought this was funny and just let it keep happening? I don't think anybody's going to know the answer. There was a couple of other things I thought was pretty funny, like recently. So he famously married Heather Mills. And it was supposed to be like the most expensive wedding of all time. Uh, they were married for just six years, and when they split in 2008, she claimed to have a box of evidence that would prove that the former Beatle was not who he seemed. She said, I know everything. I know the truth. Yo, where's that box? Yeah, and I think I watched something one time that said, like, she doesn't have a leg. So people are like, <laughs> she was in the car, and that she lost huh. her leg, and that she got pissed off at some time, so she started blackmailing the... Paul being like you're gonna marry me give me all your money or I'm gonna tell everybody that you're not the real Paul and that's why they got married I thought you were gonna say that she hid the evidence in her leg (laughs) no no not that I know of but I'm pretty sure like I googled and she lost her leg in a motorcycle accident I believe but thanks for a a fun story but they did get divorced and if that was her whole thing like blackmailing to get married wouldn't she have just spilled it all when they got divorced yeah In the years since, there's been repeated attempts to explain what could have happened, alternate histories, such as George Harrison's possible last will and testament claims that it was MI5, fearing a national panic, insisted that they keep the secret, upon punishment of death. And a Ringo Starr interview later proved to be false, claimed that he must tell a secret before his death so that 
he would not take it to the grave with him. But I proved that was big, big ass lie. <laughs> but if you ask Paul, he says he's doing just fine. He says all these things that have made up these rumors to my mind, they're ordinary logical explanations to the people's minds prefer to think them as rumors. Then I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to spoil their fantasy. It's exactly what a fake Paul would say. Exactly. Faux Paul. Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty much. I, I really think that the Beatles were like, wouldn't this be hilarious if we just did this and just fucked with people the entire time? Because they were kind of like, they were kind of like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were really big on the whole like secret clues. I'm sure they just rolled with it for publicity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, oddly enough, there's also a conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne died in a car crash and her like body double is now Avril Lavigne. I have heard that. <laughs> yes. That's actually what I was thinking of when I gave you car. But yes. So I don't know. Like I'm fascinated. But I think I believe that Jesus was married more than I believe that Paul McCartney died and they put all these clues in there. Yeah. I mean, I my big thing, even if it was true, it's been 50 years. Somebody would have spilled something. At this yeah. Point. Everything comes out like you know but again if you're like just a regular old dude and all of a sudden you're paul mccartney you're probably not going to tell anybody you're gonna ride that wave (laughs) very true Uh, so who knows could be could be not so i guess we can move on i think i'm gonna do my morbid it's 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 kind of morbid but kind of not it's a loose interpretation of the term so i'm not technically going to talk about a conspiracy theory I am going to talk about someone who has been called the father of conspiracy theories. Ooh. We are going to talk about William Cooper. So he has run the gambit of conspiracy theories. The JFK assassination. The AIDS epidemic. Extraterrestrial threats that he thought was going to bring America to its knees. Everything. So... And, like, the article, the CNN article I found said, if believing in conspiracy theories was a faith, Milton William Cooper could be considered a founder of that religion. (laughs) And you know what? I think I would, I think I would join that religion. (laughs) So, first off, in dealing with extraterrestrials, uh, during his time in the U.S. military, he was a naval intelligence officer. But he alleges that he, in this time, saw secret documents that recorded U.S. government interactions with extraterrestrials. Ooh. Well, and, like, all the records and facts that he's put forward has, like, really sparked excitement in the UFOlogy community. And he had so much credibility and clout behind him because his background was compelling. He served in the Army and the Air Force and the Navy until he was discharged in 1975. Basically, he had plenty of time to snoop around and gain the national secrets. Yeah, but it wasn't long because before his wow, I forgot how to read. Okay, it wasn't <laughs> long before his story began to unravel, and like he had, he was in the Roswell Daily Record in July 9th of 1947, talking about the Roswell incident. He claims that he saw the photos of the alien from that that survived that crash and all this. But yeah, so finally his story unravels. Questions were raised about Cooper's seniority, which means that many believe that his rank in the military would not have seen him anywhere near top sec- uh, secret documents and classified information. What I love about this is that people aren't saying, oh, he's crazy 
he doesn't know what he's talking about. They're saying, you aren't ranked high enough to know about this. <laughs> I love so, that. Love that. So they claim that because of this, his information was stolen, but it wasn't stolen from the U.S. military. And apparently several people who have made jokes about the UFO community accused Cooper of plagiarizing their material and claiming it was his own research when really it was just a joke. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's really, really weird. So anyway. But it wasn't easy to dispel the rumors that his claims had started, and the release of his infamous 1991 book, Behold a Pale Horse, catapulted him to legendary status with conspiracy theory circles. I just love that name. Behold a Pale Horse. Pale Horse? Yes. So, this book... Oh, Oh, there is. Behold a Pale Horse took its title from Chapter 6 of the Book of Revelation in which John sees death astride a pale horse and watches him receive the power to kill, quote-unquote, with sword and with hunger and with the beasts of the earth. So basically ringing in the apocalypse, the four horsemen, blah, blah, blah. In this book, William Cooper reiterated his old allegations about U.S. military involvement with extraterrestrials, and he built on them. He also mixed and matched old conspiracy theories and introduced a dozen new ones that modern readers will recognize as the forerunners of many of today's fringe claims. He backed his theory with lists of sources, the names of people involved, and documents. Tons and tons of documents. This is one of my favorite things that he covered, and it actually kind of hit me and made a lot of sense, but it's going to sound to our listeners very wackadoo that I believe this, but... (laughs) The book's claims were shocking, and Cooper argued that AIDS is a man-made disease and that it had been created specifically to decrease the population of African Americans, Latinos, and gay men. Shocked face. And he claims that the epidemic of AIDS was started by a vaccine manufactured in Arizona. Ooh. So... Basically, he says, and this is a quote from his book, it was decided by the elite, which will tie into my next story, kind of, that since the population must be reduced and controlled, it would be in the best interest of the human race to rid ourselves of undesirable elements of our society. Okay, that doesn't, I mean, historically, like, when... People are like, we don't want Native Americans anymore. They give them, like, yeah. smallpox blankets and then kill yes. all the buffalo so they starve to death. So it's not really that crazy to think about. It's not the first exactly. time that's happened. Yes. Like, it's, I mean, there's, like, actual historical evidence to kind of back up that that fucking happened. So it would not surprise me. Something that does get a little weird is he also, in his book, accused Dwight D. Eisenhower of negotiating a treaty with extraterrestrials in 1954. <laughs> I want to read it. I need to read it. I do too. And it's based on, I'm, I'm legitimately like going to find this book. I have to read this book now. (laughs) And that claim, like other ones were based on classified documents that he said he read while he was working as an intelligence officer. So then I mentioned the JFK assassination. I can't words today. So he says that the former president had secretly issued an ultimatum in 1963 threatening to reveal the presence of aliens to the American people the following year. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't think aliens is what got him killed. 
There's a lot of conspiracies with JFK, but I don't know if I buy that the aliens is the reason. Yeah, here's the best part of that theory, though. Because I don't believe it either, but he, according to Cooper, there are secret tapes that prove that the Secret Service agent who drove the car turned around and murdered the president using an alien weapon. I don't know. I've seen that video and you can see his head coming off like pretty much like, yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. It's pretty gruesome. So the tapes that he talks about, uh, proved to be little more than a doctored version of the original films, the Zapruder films and a much analyzed video taken by a civilian who accidentally caught the president's assassination on camera. But in the wake of his claims, a new multitude of conspiracy theories involving driver William Greer emerged. So, but they weren't driving very fast. They were in a. They weren't. People, but I think that. See, that's what I think, and I, I don't know. I've watched the video. He like it happens, and people start screaming, and then the Secret Service jump on the car, and then people are yelling at the driver to drive faster, like drive, drive, drive. I don't even remember him looking back to see what happened. Yes, so it's it's very wackadoo. Yeah, like Jackie was crawling, but they said she was grabbing part of his skull. Like she wasn't trying to get out of the car. A lot of people said that looks like she's trying to get out, but she claimed in an interview later that she was trying to grab a piece of his skull that flew and then held his head together. Oh, I thought she was trying to climb out of the back of the car. Yeah, if you look really... <laughs> I like conspiracies, but I watched it again. If you like, she grabs something and then goes back to her seat. Oh... Like, Okay, because then one of the Secret Service agents that was there, shit, where did I read that? It was recently. I read that he said he was the one in the video that's reaching for her and she's crawling towards him. Where the fuck did I read that? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember I read that either, but I remember she, her saying in some interview, something huh. she did hold his head in her lap until I got to the hospital. Okay, sorry, I tried to throw my notes on the floor. There's also a conspiracy theory that he survived but had severe brain damage, like, obviously. And that when she married Onassis is because he had the island, so that she lived on the island with JFK, who was in a wheelchair and brain damaged. There's supposedly some picture of her standing next to some dude in a wheelchair or something. I vaguely remember. That's a crazy conspiracy theory. For real. So basically, like, he made a lot of waves by supposing all this. And it says, you know, he was kind of swimming in the same waters as Alex Jones, who's real big in conspiracies. But it was before Jones appeared on the scene. Fuck that guy. Amen. So Cooper had a reputation for denouncing most of his, like, rivals' conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. as being part of the conspiracy themselves. Like... Dude was just like, no, no, I have to do all the conspiracies. You can't be on my territory. Like, you know, <laughs> like you do. Like you do. Yeah. He even accused uh, David Icke, who I will be talking about in my next story, of teaching the doctrines of mystery religions and the fear mongering that Alex Jones was inflicting. And they were basically putting hysteria onto people with their rants. He became a problem and he started. Like, becoming really paranoid and saying that, like, Bill Clinton was after him and the government was after him. Well, oh, he also had, let me just read this, because, I mean, it's it's the 9-11 prediction myth. 
So Cooper's followers claim that he predicted the 9-11 attacks on June 28, 2001 on a radio show. So the transcripts of the show indicate that Cooper made references to a CNN news item widely released a few days earlier on June 24th, reporting that Osama bin Laden had vowed to attack U.S. and Israeli interests in the next two weeks. Cooper added his own spin to the report, saying that an attack would come, but no date specified. It would be orchestrated by, you guessed it, the New World Order, and bin Laden would be blamed for it. Oh. Yes. So, I mean, he just... He was balls to the wall about all this and stayed on people's radar. So let's see. Osama was blamed for it because he did it and that fucker got what he deserved. Real talk. No. Yep. Nope. No arguments here. So, yeah, but he like he also encouraged, you know, pirate radio and free speech and all of that, even if he would sometimes like shoot down what free speech other people had. He had his own pirate television station and a low FM pirate radio station in his hometown of Eager, Arizona. And in the 1990s, his radio show was broadcast via satellite, which was like real big for the 90s. Oh, so apparently from 1993 to 2001, several thousand hours of recordings of Cooper's radio show have been posted on the internet. And the collection shows how Cooper covered nearly all speculative topics on his show. So he was like podcast before podcast. Oh. So let's get to his death. This is what fascinates me. So, you know, he was all about inciting thought-provoking conspiracies and then saying that the government was after him. So, Cooper openly refused to pay taxes, and so he was arrested for tax evasion by the IRS. According to the feds, Cooper spent years trying to avoid capture on a 1998 arrest warrant for tax evasion, and he vowed that he would not be taken alive. Like I said, he was convinced that Bill Clinton was personally targeting him. Of course. Of course. And Cooper made it known that any attempt to arrest him for such minor things as assaulting a local man with a wrench, which is apparently a thing he did, and not paying taxes would be met with armed resistance. Oh, my gosh. He had broadcast threats to, quote unquote, kill any law enforcement officers that tried to take him. And police suspected he had a large quantity of weapons and possibly explosives in his home. On November 5th, 2001, the Apache County, Arizona Sheriff's Department, perhaps fearing another Waco, cautiously drew Cooper away from his ostensibly weapon-filled house and using a car parked nearby playing loud music, so they lured him out of his house. According to police accounts, Cooper emerged from his house, and when police officers confronted him, he shot at them with a handgun and wounded one of them in the head. Oh my gosh! And This is my favorite sentence of this article. The police, not liking people shooting at them, returned fire and Cooper was killed. don't like it yeah don't like that shit so he he (laughs) lived okay so like he lived by conspiracy theories and he died by conspiracy theories because now people think that the government wiped him out to shut him up because he was selling and sharing the government secrets i mean that doesn't surprise me that there's people that think that yeah no that does not surprise me at all i mean you can't shoot at cops you're gonna get shot exactly I i mean like if you shoot at cops, you're going to get shot back at. It's just, it's going to happen. And so I don't really feel like it was some kind of weird conspiracy theory that they were trying to snuff him out. Like he literally shot at the cops or shot a cop. So he was shot by government officials. I didn't know about him. I did not either. I I have to admit that my husband picked that topic because he got <laughs> excited. I was originally going to talk about how Lady Gaga is a murderer conspiracy theory. 
but I'll save that one for another time. But I had never heard of this guy, and so Terry clued me in. All right. So for my funny, I'm going to talk about the eight craziest conspiracy theories about Queen Elizabeth II. Wow. Okay, so we've talked about old Liz before, and I think it was our Badass Women episode. Just a little refresher. She's the longest reigning British monarch. She's ruled the UK for 67 years. So obviously, if you're in office that long, you're going to have a lot of crazy theories surrounding you. So here's some of the funniest ones I found. Well, craziest. The first one's not funny. It's just crazy. And it's the one that most people know about is that she had a role in Princess Diana's death. Oh, yeah. Like I said, not funny, but it's probably the most well-known. There's rumors about how the queen and her husband, Prince Philip, caused the death of her former daughter-in-law because she was uh, giving the royal family a hard time in the press. And her divorce caused some bad... She was the people's princess. She was going around, you know, hugging children with AIDS and, you know, solving the landmine issue and stuff. So she was looking really great and she was making the royal family look horrible. But... Real talk, they were disgusting towards her. Like, they they were horrible towards her. So, yeah, whatever. So they claimed that the queen had her murdered in 1997 because she was dating Mohammed Al-Fayed, who was Muslim. And there were rumors that she was pregnant and they didn't want somebody within the royal circle to have a child of that sort. So. Heaven forbid. Yeah, so that saddens me. I'm old enough that I remember the moment we found out Princess Di died, and it was really sad and tragic. And it's also fascinating because she wasn't technically a princess anymore at the time of her death, but the queen was kind of forced to lower the flag half-staff to treat her as a royal, because if they hadn't, I'm pretty sure the people of the UK would have overthrown them. Rightfully so. Yeah, so it's a very, uh, I don't really believe it, because I don't think... Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, everything she's ever done in her entire reign has been very methodical. And she wouldn't do something that, that I don't know, something that could threaten, threaten yes. the throne. Like, yes. everything she's done is to protect the throne and keep it the tradition alive. So I don't believe it. But a lot of people think it. I think it was a tragic accident that, you know, had a lot of factors. I think the paparazzi is to blame, honestly. They're hunting her, like for sport it was horrible yeah it's awful like i like i said i think i said it in another podcast like i've been in the tunnel that she died in and it was just it's horrible horrible and horrifying and sad but anyway back to funny um (laughs) people think she's a cannibal so back to cannibalism yay conspiracy theorists claim that she eats people the story originates from a philosopher named Hubert Humdinger, which is like the best name, honestly. Man. She says that her vitality and her ability to not show her age is very unusual. So obviously she eats people. He says, quote, there is an immense amount of spiritual energy and human muscle. She must eat human flesh to be so vivacious. <laughs> however admittedly the queen's ancestors actually did use human parts for medicinal properties it was standard practice in the 18th century to grind up human skulls for medicine so there's a little tidbit for you good to Uh, know and i think we mentioned it in the egyptian episode they used to grind up mummies and stuff too so it's not like completely crazy but i don't think she eats people either and then after some digging, I found out that the humdinger guy doesn't actually exist. 
that he's probably the creation of a satire writer named Adam Michael Lupic. Huh. So they just made it up to make her look like a cannibal. This one's funny, and I think this is probably what your weird is because you mentioned David Icke. Uh, that she's a <laughs> shape shifting lizard. Yes. yes. Yeah, so uh, former BBC sports presenter and conspiracy theorist David Icke insists that the queen is a shape-shifting lizard called an Anuki. Is that how you say it? Anukai? Don't hold me to that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And it comes from Mesoamerican mythology, which surprised me. Anyway, so I'm sure you're going to go into it more, but... He alleges that, like, Freemasons and Illuminati have the world's royal families and high-powered political families and businessmen are all part of these, like, human-lizard hybrids. I did find that the reptilian elite has a website, that mm-hmm. org, which I thought was pretty hilarious that they have yes. their own, like, .org website for this. Well, but, it is an organization. It is. And it says the blood-drinking, flesh-eating, shape-shifting, extraterrestrial reptilian humanoids include George W. Bush, Bill and Hillary Clinton, shocker, Henry Kissinger, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Mitt Romney, Newt Gingrich, which I believe because that guy's weird. And then also, oh, and Donald Rumsfeld, that guy's totally a lizard. <laughs> yes. Um, he also says like Putin, Mark Zuckerberg. Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Madonna, Angelina Jolie, Miley Cyrus, and the Biebs. Apparently, during his 2017 tour, Justin Bieber was performing in Australia, and a local tabloid published that he shape-shifted before their very eyes. Yeah, the headline actually states, Justin Bieber caught momentarily transforming into reptilian form. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's my whole weird story is the reptilian elite. Yes, okay, that's all I'm going to say on it. But yeah, there's apparently a YouTube video or something. I didn't watch it, but I was like, come on, guys. The next theory is that she's actually dead. (laughs) So at the end of 2016 and the beginning of 2017, she was notably absent from her ceremonies that she usually does. And people thought that she had actually died. But turns out she only had a cold. So she was taking some time off to recuperate. Cold, dead, same thing, whatever. I mean, she does look really good for her age, but she still looks old. So I'm not quite convinced that she's using all these methods. She looks spry for her age, but she still looks her age. Yes. This one's fun. She's a satanic cult leader. Ooh, I love this one. Rumors emerged that the queen was involved in the disappearance of dozens of Inuit children in Canada. Conspiracy theories surfaced when people realized that her trip to Canada was perfectly timed to the news of the missing children. Theorists believe that she and her husband, Prince Philip, are satanic cult leaders who kidnapped the children. And then they sacrificed them in satanic rituals where they would kill them and drink their blood. Okay. I guess that kind of ties into the cannibalism and then the alien people that drink her blood. A more plausible theory for this claim is that the controversial policies that the Crown administered to re- in relation to the indigenous people, Britain was allegedly responsible for the deportation of the Inuit people in Quebec to the high Arctic, possibly to restore the Inuit to what it was considered their proper state. Okay. The next one is that she's in the Illuminati. I can't tell you. I, I have this anger, this rage Like, working with teenagers and they're like, everything's the fucking Illuminati. I just have this rage. Because, like, historically, 
they are an organization, sure. But like this whole like Beyonce is the Illuminati and the little triangle shit. I don't know why it angers me so much. But anyway, so the conspiracy is that her along with other world leaders are in the secret society. Theorists suggest that the queen clones celebrities to help the Illuminati create a new world order. Oh my god. So Illuminati is a name that's been given to a lot of real and fictitious groups. Historically, it refers to the Bavarian Illuminati, an Enlightenment-era secret society founded on May 1st, 1776. But, like, literally it was just, like, six to nine dudes sitting around saying they want to take over the world. And, yeah, it was a secret society, but, like, they didn't get much done. Fun uh, fact, the Illuminati website, you can apply to be in the Illuminati, and I really, 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 really want to do it. That was my next bullet. Like, if oh. you were really a secret society, why would you have a fucking website, and why would you have an application that let anybody in? Like, if you're only going to be the top people of society, don't let the plebs in. I don't Amen. Re- I am a plebe, and I want in. I'm just saying, if I was going to take over the world... Okay, I had this college class one time. God, I love her. She's one of my favorite professors of all time. But, like, the way she taught fascism and, like, World War II and stuff, it was, like, the things you have to do to take over the world. So she had, like, a top ten list, all the things you have to do. And a lot of this is you got to keep the stuff secret, like your secret police, your secret organizations. you got to keep them secret. So, just so you know, I know how to take over the world. I just don't have the money to do it yet. And I'm building a team that can defend the world. (laughs) Oh, God. So, yeah, I think my... Jesus. So I think the most popular Illuminati is like Beyonce and Jay-Z, Taylor Swift, Kanye, the Kardashians, and then Bieber again. But in all reality, the Illuminati is, they're just people that are really popular in society and do have some power because they have money and influence. But that doesn't Okay. Mean. I'm going to throw some shade. <laughs> if I was, yeah, it's I'm sitting under a tree right now because I'm throwing shade. If I was in the Illuminati and I was like recruiting people and I wanted to be this like elite social society situation. Why would I bring Justin Bieber into it? Real talk. There's a fly in my wine. Oh no. Drink around it. it touched my face. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why is that lumpy? <laughs> this wine tickles. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. It's okay. The the aloe juice and cranberry juice that I'm drinking, the aloe is very, very pulpy and I keep like it keeps like sliding out of my mouth as I'm drinking it and it's freaking me out. Oh, I'm so grossed out now. Do you wanna get some more wine? No, I don't want it anymore. I'm just gonna be sober, Kina now. Drink it out of the bottle, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree. Justin Bieber is like the last person I'd want to be in the New World Order. Not against him he's just like a child like star that's grown up in like unusual circumstances to be like a spoiled dude that like acts out and does shit like he wouldn't be able to keep his mouth shut didn't he just tweet that he wants to like fight tom cruise or somebody or brad pitt or indeed it was tom cruise have you seen okay. his stunts have you seen the shit he does for mission impossible you don't want to fight that right homeboy will jump on a couch on the oprah show you you don't want to go against that <laughs> No. Yeah. Then like he got, if, oh, and then you got the, oh, who are the, oh, what, what is he? The Scientologist. In? Yes. That should have been what we're doing. The, Real talk. The lizard volcano people. Yes. 
Oh my god. I mean, also, like, nothing against religions, except this one. But, like, it was a science fiction novel. Like, why are people in the... I don't understand. It's not even the best science fiction novel. It's not even, like, the top five. I don't understand. Also, I have one more shade thing to throw out there. Okay. Also, why would Justin Bieber be in it? And then there's literally a paparazzi photo where his bodyguard is picking him up like a toddler and putting him in the car while he's like rabble rousing, trying to yell at someone. <laughs> like if, <laughs> if your bodyguard is picking you up like a baby to put you in your car seat to drive you away because you are acting out, you do not get to be in the Illuminati. That's this. It's a decision I made. Illuminati, if you could kick Justin Bieber out and like let me be in there, that'd be cool. We're highly influential individuals. We have a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> like, I understand, like, Beyonce, because she is Queen Bee, and, like, oh, everybody. Beyonce. Yeah, they'll, like, follow her to the ends of the earth. So, I, I understand. Jay-Z, not so much. Well, he's, just... he's Mr. Beyonce, so I guess that's allowed. Okay. I also found a conspiracy theory that he is a big tra- time-traveling vampire, and there's a picture of him in like Harlem in like the early 1900s and it is identical to him. Huh. I almost did that but there wasn't really a lot to go on other than the picture but you should google it. Jay-Z time traveling vampire. Look at the photo. You won't regret it. It really makes you think. It's kind of like that Keanu Reeves is a time traveler thing or is it the he never ages? I mean I saw he looks exactly the same as he did in the early 90s. He does. He's a beautiful man. Have you watched yeah. that new Netflix movie, the Always Be My Maybe? I have not, and I need to because I love Ali Wong so much, and oh. I love that Keanu's, Keanu Reeves is in it. Yeah, Keanu plays like a very exaggerated version of himself, and it's so love funny. It. So love I love him so much. I heard that Marvel is now like drooling trying to get him in literally any movie ever. I am behind it. Oh, me too. I'll watch anything that he's in. Real talk. He could read the phone book. And I'd be like, all right, here's my money. Yeah. I love, 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 love him. Love, love, love. Anyway, yeah. Illuminati. I don't know why I have so much rage against it. I just think it's dumb. I think it's like people, I think it's because like the Illuminati is a real secret organization that's historical and has like meaning. And then people are like, fucking Bieber. I'm like, don't ruin history with Bieber. Don't yes. do it. I don't understand. Don't be that guy. Well, I know, like, I saw, like, people asking Kanye, and he was just like, that's stupid. No. (laughs) Well, it is Kanye, so. I like old school Kanye music. I really, truly do. I don't know what I feel about, like, Kanye having his own church, Kanye, but. (sighs) Do you want to drink Flavor Aid? Because that's how you end up drinking Flavor Aid. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. They're all wearing white sweatpants, but you know how that went. That's very Heaven's Gate, yeah. Very, yeah, it's, oh, dirty white Yeezys. I don't know. The music, the music sounds amazing. I get, I love gospel, especially, like, a hip-hoppy, awesome, like, gospel thing. That sounds fun to me, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Don't call it a church. Nobody's actually preaching. Yeah, don't be that guy. Or they're claiming they're not true. No, no, Yeah, It's very cultish. I mean, I always talk about weird family things. My dad married into a cult one time. That was a fun time. Oh, God. They're called, like, the purple... Purple people? Something? I don't know. Anyway, they oh, dance naked at... No, something else. The purple something. But they dance naked at the Buffalo every year. 
and they do a bunch of drugs and shit. Um, yeah, they have like open courts where like the judge just pulls out a table in the woods and they just try people there because they're all dumb shit. Well, that's horrifying. They sell those like crystal deodorant things on the side of the road in Harrison. Yikes. Fun fact, this is completely off topic. One of my friends, her daughter just went on a float trip this past weekend on the Buffalo with some friends and their parents and they got lost in the woods because it started storming and like full on rescue mission had to go out with missing person report. And I have to say, I'm super proud of these kids because not only did they like get off the river because it was about to storm, they built a shelter and covered themselves in mud to keep from being bit by insects and spent the night in the woods. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Like it was, I was so proud of them. Like I was like, that is the smartest thing ever. But yeah, they're okay and everything. But you mentioned it. It made me think of that. That's a way better Buffalo River story than my dancing around. I never met her. I guess technically she was my stepmom or whatever. But yeah, I never met her. But yeah, my dad got kicked out of the cult. So (laughs) he's too difficult. (laughs) Big maid. That's what that's what would happen to me. Yeah, fun times. It was a religious yeah. commune where they all work together. Very, mm-hmm. it's still a cult, but you know, good times. Weird. So yeah, I should write a book. <laughs> on my real weird- talk, you should. I'm writing a book. You should definitely write a book. Oh man, my family's got some. And if you listen to our extra AF episode, I got a doozy of a family story for you there. My mom wrote in, and holy crap. Oh, yes. Let's just say it's amazing that some of my family made it out alive out of this situation. So. I've got a couple of those stories, too. <laughs> uh, so, are you ready for my weird? I am. I am. Okay. And it's weird, not funny, like I wrote on here because I read the wrong part of my note. <laughs> okay. So, as already revealed, I'm going to talk about David Icke's famous reptilian conspiracy. And it's titled, Do They Walk Among Us? <laughs> no. No, they do not. And like Keena mentioned, you know, people have probably seen the tabloid headlines claiming that Justin Bieber caught momentarily transforming into reptilian form or shape-shifting secret agent proof of Illuminati reptilian bloodlines. (laughs) These, These seem like fringe conspiracies, but there was actually a poll taken in 2016 during the election that showed that roughly 12 million Americas believe that Famous reptile reptilians exist. That's way too many people believe that. When I was trying to think of weird stuff, I was like, oh, I should talk about how, like, people think Obama was a lizard person. And then I started delving into it, and I was like, <laughs> holy crap, there's, like, this is a whole thing. So, legitimately, people believe this. So, let's talk about some of the famous reptilians. And also, this kind of goes back to my other stories. Much of the theory's popularity comes from David Icke's interpretation of Gnostic texts such as the Nag Hammadi, as well as biblical Acrypha, oh my god, words are hard, Apocrypha, there we go, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, like we mentioned in my first story. So I love how much stuff is coming out of the Gnostic texts and the Dead Sea Scrolls about conspiracies. So he says he believes that these texts contain evidence that certain higher vibrational beings of frequency, known as archons, appear on Earth as human, making, masking their true reptilian form. <laughs> so, you know that episode of Doctor Who with, like, the pig people in, like, British Parliament? Oh, yeah, no thanks. That's what I picture, where, like, they can appear human, but they're really, like, otherworldly. So, the Archontic forces are undoubtedly evil, 
intent on enslaving humanity for their own selfish reasons. Which, side note, Illuminati, if Justin Bieber is a lizard person, why is he in? But actually, I think that's answered later. So anyway, (laughs) Icky says, these forces are like a computer virus which manifested itself in elite bloodlines throughout mankind's history. This is also known to use more infamous arm of clandestine influence the Illuminati. So I guess Justin Bieber is a lizard person and is in the Illuminati because the Illuminati created the lizard people. Well, that's a plot twist. Right? So yeah, so I guess I guess he can be in the Illuminati. And I guess I won't join because I'm not a lizard person, presumably. <laughs> Allegedly. Okay, so... These famous reptilian shapeshifters form the psychopathic ruling class that pulls the strings in all of the world's financial and political structures. So they are the puppet masters of the world. So they're saying that it's kind of hard to sympathize with Icky's belief in this. The decisions made by politicians, bankers, and the global elite are often selfish and detrimental. Well, no, they say it's not hard to sympathize with it because the, the decisions are detrimental to the environment and they basically go against betterment of the society at large. So, and this is three signs of psychopathy. And so they're trying, oh, words are so hard today. So they are saying that while these are elements of being a psychopath, can't really technically be reptilian, but he's like, they're reptiles. So here's his reasoning. We all have a reptilian brain. It, that's the part of our brain that's responsible for like behavior, like aggression, dominance, territoriality, which is all, which is a term that was given by, to the basal ganglia by neuroscientist Paul McLean when he wanted to compare our instinctual actions to those of reptiles. So our brains, the instinct, instinctual part of our brain is like the fight or flight and act before think kind of area. So this is what Icky describes as like the more conniving part of McLean's trying to say that lizard people aren't just feel instead of think they are like capable of more thought. So he's like, they're way smarter than you think they are. Like lizards aren't that dumb. So so anyway, so the Illuminati bloodlines, there are two types of these famous reptilian elite people. There's hybrids and there's full blood, kind of like the gods. So the hybrids are an alleged crossbreed between humans and full-blooded reptilians who are too few in number to take over the planet, hence the reason they cloak their identity while manipulating world leaders and financiers behind the scenes. There's also a hierarchy, according to Icky, of which the full-bloods or Dracos sit atop, maintaining control of the hybrids who are unaware they are even reptilian. Most of the world's most influential political figures are of the hybrid ilk, including modern presidents, prime ministers, and bankers. Other believe hybrids exist as reptilian celebrities, but Icky typically sticks to institutions and political entities, especially those with nefarious histories like the CIA, Bilderberg Group, and the Trilateral Commission. One of his most renowned titles, The Biggest Secret, Icky meticulously charts the bloodlines of a family called the Merovingians, which if you like YA fiction or YA movies, they talk about the Merovingians in Vampire Academy. As being the first, like, it's like the bloodline, the elite bloodline of vampires and coming down from that and everything is an offshoot of the Merovingian line. So they were a 
the central nation of France nobility that links ancient Egyptian pharaohs and Roman emperors and the British royal family, as well as presidents and every other like influential political figure of the past few centuries. So they have their fingers in all the pies, according to him, and they are spreading their reptilian bloodline to everyone Wait. to take over the world. So are like presidents already an alien hybrid or something, or the lizard hybrid? Yes. Like they then, how do they know who's going to run for president, or is it just only lizard people run for president? I think only lizard people are good enough to be elected president. Uh, I can't like they. I I 100% cannot get behind this, but that's how it's read. I can't even imagine the lizard people wanting Trump. (laughs) Real talk. Going back under that shade tree. So, look. If, I mean, 100%, if I had to pick someone with psychopathy in their roots, yes. Lizard people, no. But yes. Well, and this also goes with that whole theory that I talked about in our Egypt episode about how Egyptians are half alien. Oh, yeah. Or like the pharaohs are aliens. So not only are they aliens, but they're also lizards. So Uh, are they a third alien, a third lizard, and a third human? Making my head hurt. I don't know. I know. This one, (laughs) this one like blows my fucking mind. It is so weird. But anyway, so. They even he he delineates this tree with extensive detail and like I'll have to post a link to it because I mean it's it's fucking wild. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, and they reptilian references in ancient culture. So there is the mention of them in the Nog Hammadi, not just reptilians, but also the Greys, which are aliens. We've seen that. In every Ancient Aliens episode, the alien with the long four fingers and the big teardrop-shaped head with the big eyes, that's a gray. So those are also apparently in the Nog body, and they are commonly reported as one of the less-than-friendly alien and human encounters. These The grays are the ones that, when you see people saying, I was abducted and they stuck things in my butt, like, that's, <laughs> that's the grays. Oh, so, okay. yeah, not their less-than-friendly encounters. And this is also from that archonic, archontic form. God damn, words are hard. So anyway, so apparently even in the Sumerian tablets, which detail the Anunnaki or whatever we were saying, it says that a progenitor race of reptilian aliens come to Earth and interbred with humans, leading to the first advanced civilization in Sumer, or yeah, Sumer, Egypt, Babylon, and the Indus Valley. So... The lizard people are aliens. Don't I just want to. S- I wish I had enough hair that I could like muss it and just look in the camera and just go aliens with my hands like the dude from Ancient Aliens. He's a good meme. I'll give him that. He is. Okay, so gets even weirder. <laughs> no. <sighs> so this points to the Old Testament, in which the Nephilim, aka the Fallen Ones, fit into. Icky's theory of the descendants of race infiltrating humanity. So saying like the fallen angels came to earth and now some people are angel human hybrids. There's also lizard human hybrids. But I wonder if the hybrids of the human and alien or human and lizards is also human and angel. This is very like South Park man bear pig right now. 
but yes. So the translation in the Old Testament interprets that the Nephilim as giants or others as fallen angels were interbred with humans. Icky says that there are depictions of them that can be seen throughout disparate religions and cultures in antiquity, worshipped as gods or demigods like uh, those before, uh, like the gods before them. So, in ancient Sumer, there is literally a statue of a reptilian goddess, which I will definitely post a picture of. I don't know if you can see it. It's, oh wait, yeah. Oh. Jeez, yeah, I've got my blur on, so it's a little weird. But yes, and she's cradling an offspring, and she's, I'm pretty sure she's breastfeeding it. The scandal. Oh, no. And ancient Egypt has a pep, the servant, oh, goddamn, the serpent deity. That embodied chaos and opposed light. In Mesoamerican culture, there was Quetzalcoatl and Kukulkan, the flying feathered reptile god who created the cosmos. And then there's the Indian religions, including Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Speaking of Naga, a human snake hybrid demigod that are potentially dangerous to humans. And Naga is also a thing in like the Harry Potter novels and, oh god, what is it? The myth. A lot of mythology stuff. I'm actually really fascinated with the idea of Naga. The series I just read, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, is also has Naga in it. Oh. So, he's, Icky supposes that all of these instances, these gods and all that, were actually half-blooded reptilians that he, we were being warned about by the ancients. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, so if you go with this rather fantastical theory, his sentiment and the foundation of his histrionics stems from a genuine concern for humanity and oppression that he sees from an elite class, the 1%. So the 1% is reptiles, basically. So so different from the 1% of super rich people? Right, yeah. No, I think it is the super rich people that are uh, alien, or not aliens, God, uh, reptiles. Words. <laughs> So, yeah, and and I mean, you can even see, like, it's weird. You can even see this in Doomsday, Doomsday Preppers. There is, this is an anxiety that's shared by a lot of people in the world. And people legitimately think that this reptilian elite, all these world conquerors and Beyonce and Obama and Justin Bieber are coming together and are going to take over the world. Huh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So there has been... There was an episode of Deep Space where he discusses his evidence of the reptilians from the Nag Hammadi and the Dead Sea Scrolls that you should all definitely check out. I definitely want to watch it again. It's just, it's real weird, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those that it's so fantastical that I just cannot even suspend disbelief to be like, okay, maybe this is a real thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's fucking weird, but apparently the queen is also a lizard people, so, you know, cool. All hail the queen. God save the queen. Right? And I wonder if it's like the same kind of theory as the mole people that live under the earth's crust. I don't know. (laughs) That one makes me giggle. Right. Man, conspiracy theories are wild. Oh, yeah, we will definitely be doing more conspiracy theories at some point. Yeah, some of them just... I just, how do you, how do you get A to B? I don't understand. I don't. Yeah. Like sometimes conspiracy theories take just a couple weird turns to get from A to B. And sometimes they don't ever make it to B. They just like (laughs) fucking stop or like drive off a cliff. (laughs) It's true. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed our lighter, more fun topic this week. Yes. We didn't lose you with all the 
blood and gore and terror that a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, thanks for hanging in for all that. Hello! Hi! We're Rosie and Andrew from the comedy history podcast It's History Bitch. Each week we bring a story from history and judge each other for the choices we've made. Okay, so Andrew, I've got four words that have been used to describe our podcast. Ooh. I want you to explain to me why they're like why they work. Okay. First word, saucy. Well, some of the stories we tell can be pretty saucy, and I'd say that we're both fairly sexual beings. I would agree. Feminist? Um, I'm gay and you're a woman. Educational? Uh, we teach people to be gay and women. Yeah, that we do. Cute? Um, I'd say 50% of us is cute. I am, thank you. Okay. So you can get this podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Mm, so download away. Bye. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Oh, oh, but we have a Patreon shout out this week. We do! Lee and Rachel, and we are so thankful, and I am not ashamed to admit this is the first person who's donated that we do not personally know in some way, and I'm very happy and pumped, and I love you forever. I know, we were very excited, and we did squeal. Shocker. Yes. We're very excited. We love you guys and Patreon, and we got so much going on. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have our trunk dive up, we have some bloopers up, we have... I add, like, deleted scenes to, so, like, when I'm editing and we do something funny, but it doesn't fit. I just, like, chunk it and put it in Patreon. And uh, we do all kinds of cool stuff. We got our book list and our historical bucket list. I was really excited about the serial killer one. I found some really cool stuff. Like, spoiler alert, there is a Devil in the White City tour in Chicago. Yes. Oh, my God. I want to do that. And I discovered that H.H. H. Holmes castle is now a post office <laughs> wow that's awesome i know yeah so there's a lot of cool stuff so it's not just like oh you should go here we talked about this i i did a bunch of like serial killer museums and then we did like things specific to our story so it's a lot of cool stuff so go to www.patreon.com slash af and on the right will be our two tiers and you can decide what you want and then donate and then we'll love you forever and Yay. Yes, forever. Yes, and then if you want to follow us on social media and see our photos that are related to each episode when it drops on Sundays, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HistoricalAFPod. We will also love you forever for following us on there. Yes, and we still need your stories. Forever needing stories. Um, Tell us about your family history or something cool about your hometown. There's an urban legend that you know about uh, if you've gone to a really cool historical place. Just anything history related you want to talk to us about. We'll read it on our extra AF episodes at the first of every month. And we're about to record July. So I'm very excited. Ah. So yeah, we need that. So email us at historicalafpot at gmail.com or if you have any ideas of stuff that we should do, email us. And if you're a Patreon member, you get to choose our topics. So also, there's that. Yes, please do that. And we have merch. We have a merchandise site. And right now, until the... Ooh, nope. Wait. When is that over? Was that over yesterday? That was over yesterday. Okay, just kidding. Keen to cut that out. <laughs> we have merchandise. And we would love for you to check it out and buy it and all of that. It is at shop.spreadshirt.com. 
dot com slash historical af pod it's so cool i love our stuff the shirts that we've gotten are so comfortable and amazing oh yeah i wear it out I wear it to the gym it's so comfortable but yeah we got some poppin' wheelies on our space copter shirts and then we have some vodka fun water or no uh oh crap cool wa- what shit what is it need <coughs> to cut that out i don't remember <laughs> Yeah, we got a lot of really cool stuff. And also, please give give us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, you know. Help us out. Tell all your friends. Yell us from the rooftops. Tell strangers on the street. Check us out. The more people that listen, the more stuff we can do for you. Yes, yes. I just pulled in two girls from Hot Topic the other day as new listeners. Like, I told the people working there about it. and Spread the word, guys. Yay! And uh, so we'll see you next week. Yes, for episode 12. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. And we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.